Leadership is service. The more different perspectives you have around the table, the better the conversation and therefore the better the decision can be. When you see great leaders, they've always learned from someone else. Love as a business strategy allows leaders to be human. We have to develop a muscle for empathy. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to season four of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we have your best interest at heart. Because at Cadence, we're much more than a provider of financial services. We're a lifetime advocate driven by your success. Happy New Year, folks. It's Patrick. 2024 is here, and at Cadence Bank, we're taking this podcast into the new year. We've made our resolutions, less chocolate on our coffee breaks, more physical activity, and of course, we want to help good companies take the lead. So today, we're bringing back some of our favorite guests. With them, you'll learn to lead with integrity and thrive year after year. Consider this your all-in-one guide to business leadership. Get ready to get inspired. And to start us off, let's define our terms with Craig Flowers, a well-loved guest from season two. I'm a a fourth-generation native Texan. I served 25 years in the Army, and I retired in 2012 and started our company, Sideline Leadership. Remember Craig? His organization, Sideline Leadership, helps executives and entrepreneurs take their seat behind the wheel and build healthy, long-lasting businesses. Craig has earned his stripes. For 25 years, he was a leader in the Army, reofficiated in special operations, and directed cadets at West Point. During these years, he got to define again and again what leadership really means. And surprise, surprise, it starts with vulnerability. Being vulnerable among our peers makes one stronger, without question. Every time I got promoted in the, in the Army, and particularly at the grade of full colonel, I needed to be even more approachable, more vulnerable, more transparent, more open, more available than I was before. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early on as a young lieutenant in the Army was when things go wrong or when we're in a rut, start with ourselves. And all elite leaders, when things go wrong, they start with themselves and they work in concentric circles and they'll often find that a solution to their challenge is a lot closer to them than they may have even considered. When we think about a leader, what often comes to mind is someone with vision, ambition, and commitment. But to Craig, it's much more simple than that. Leadership is an act of service. If you ask the majority of people, if you ambushed them with, you know, what's your definition of leadership, you're likely to get responses like, do what's right when nobody's looking, you know, choose the harder right over the easier wrong, which is taken from the cadet prayer at West Point, or lead by example. At its core, at least for me, at its core, leadership is nothing more, nothing less than service to a cause. Leadership is service. I break that down a little bit in in our company, Sideline Leadership. It's authentic, relentless, and selfless service to a cause. And among those elite teams that I had the privilege of serving in a direct support role for a decade prior to going to West Point, they were aware who the colonel was, who the commander was, who the, the, the named leader was. They knew that. But you never heard that leader say, for example, this is a subtle thing, Patrick, but it, I found it to be a telling often. It can be the difference from average and good, good to great and great to elite. 
listen to how they describe their team. Whenever I hear someone say, my team, boy, that, that right away I start listening even more intently. You never hear a member of an elite team say, my team. They know who the executive VP is, the director is, the commander, the general, whoever it is. They say, our team, our organization, our team. They don't need to say, as the CEO, my team. Never. That is not how they talk. They talk about our culture. They use we, us, and our in how they communicate. How they communicate is just as vital as what they're doing. And that is a challenge. Leading is exhausting. Serving is exhausting, but it is so worth it. So there you have it. A good leader is transparent, honest, and identifies with the collective. Easy enough, right? Well, we all know what it's like in the field. Making decisions is actually stressful, and you can lose your focus, but there's always room for change. Mohammed Anwar taught us this. He is the founder of Softway, a successful business-to-employee solutions company. He is also the co-author of Love as a Business Strategy. In season three, he told us how he went from being a bad boss to being a champion of love in business. When I first started the company, I was 20 years old and started it with my brother and uh, some classmates from college. So it was definitely the startup environment, the culture that was typical of startups where, you know, we're eating, sleeping, (laughs) working day, night, hustling as much as possible and a lot of camaraderie. We take care of each other. We help each other and so forth. So that's how it started. But as we began to grow as an organization, our culture started to take a turn and had to do a lot with me as the CEO of the company. I think success got to my head and I started to model behaviors from other leaders of larger corporations that I had witnessed or interacted with. And uh, our culture then took a turn to where it was more based on fear. I followed the command and control approach. It's my way or the highway approach and led with behaviors that really create an environment of fear around the company. So people were not showing up with their true self or putting their heart and passion into what they were doing. It was just like, hey, do whatever gets us to get the paycheck and get the minimal work done. A lot of people would bring about feedback, but I wasn't willing to listen, right? Because in my mind, this is what you need to do. This is how you become successful. This is how you make profits. This is what is necessary for the organization to be successful. So I created that kind of an environment, not knowing what I was doing. There's a really distinct story about a harsh email you sent regarding a dirty fridge in the break room. So first off, how dirty was the fridge in the break room? It was really dirty. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, not trying to rationalize why I wrote the email, but there were lunch boxes in there that had all kinds of, uh, let's just say it was like a science experiment. It was really bad. <laughs> so you sent a message. What was that message like? Well, the message was downright aggressive. It called into question people's home training. I accused people of being lazy. And I basically said, hey, look, it's a privilege for you to have a refrigerator here. So if you're not going to keep it clean, I have the right to take it away and then also threaten them to get to clean the fridge no later than end of day and acknowledge this email, you know, in a very threatening tone. So that email, unfortunately, 
got circulated with ex-employees, made it to Glassdoor, and it became the laughing stock of look what the CEO of Softway is up to. And uh, even in that moment, I still justified it. I rationalized it. And I was not willing to have it any other way. That's how blinded I was. At this point, Mohammed had a long way to go to becoming a loving CEO. So how do you begin to work on yourself? In this case, it took a handful of employees staging an intervention. And then there's the day that changed everything. So I received tickets to go to my alma mater's football game. I was looking forward to a distraction. I wanted to just forget about everything that was going on with the work and life. And we were having a Cinderella season up until that point in time. But unfortunately, going to the fourth quarter, we were losing by 20 points, playing with a third string quarterback and the stadium was emptying out. <laughs> ESPN Game Tracker predicted we had 0.1% chance to win that night. And so I was disappointed as well, but something inside of me told me, stay back, be there to watch the game. And I'm glad I did because I ended up witnessing one of the best comebacks in Cougar football history. We won that night with less than 30 seconds left on the clock by 35 to 34. Watching the press conference of then rookie head coach Tom Herman, who had taken us on a 10-0 record till that point in time. And, uh, you know, one of the reporters asked him, hey, what had led to the success that night or the resiliency and the comeback victory that night? And it's what he said that changed the course of my life. He said it was love. It was love and support that the football players had for one another. Genuine, you have my heart in your hand kind of love. And that's the kind of love that is required to go win championship games. And as he was saying all of this, you know, I was introspecting and asking myself, do I love my team? Do I care for my team the way Coach Tom Herman is describing? And the resounding answer that kept coming back was, no, I didn't. I did not care for my team the way he was describing. And that's when I had that realization that something has to change. And if I need to build a culture of love inside the walls of my business to emulate the success that the University of Houston Cougar football team was having, then I needed to change my behaviors and how I treated people and how I behaved with people. And that was the start of the journey. In that moment, Muhammad realized that love wasn't just a feeling. It was a plan of action. And it had to trickle down from the top. The reality is the leaders have a magnified influence on the culture of any organization. Their behaviors set the tone. Everyone has to get on board, but the starting process has to be with the topmost leaders embracing the culture of love and behaving and acting in ways that represents it. Because that sets the tone. It gives the permission. It gives other people the inspiration to follow their footsteps. Love as a business strategy allows leaders to be human, allows them to be vulnerable and be valuable like everyone else and create a culture where your team members become your support system and you see each other as humans first before titles. And you're able to now go into a workplace knowing that you're not alone on this journey you have a lot of people around you who can support you, help you, and it makes your job a lot more easier. So take away this pressure of being the CEO. I'd rather be Muhammad, you know, and I'd rather be who I am as a person inside of work and outside of work. Like I, I want to be true to myself and not try to put on this other jacket when I'm entering the workplace. 
So there are a lot of benefits to leaders in following the culture of love. Personally, I love what Muhammad is saying here about humanity and leadership. It's a testament to his character and it shows how business is changing today. We're looking at leadership with a new lens and saying, it's okay to make mistakes. Getting it wrong will help you find your way to success. We also learn from great leaders. I'll confess, much like Muhammad, I'm inspired by athletes, whether little league or professional. Remember we had Super Bowl champion Keith Jackson in the studio? First of all, I'm Keith Jackson Sr. because there is a Keith Jackson Jr. Yep, in case you missed it, that happened. In 2022, we spoke with NFL legend Keith Jackson Sr. Looking back on his football career, Keith helped us understand how to lead a team to new heights. He told us about his most inspiring mentors, including Mike Holmgren, the coach and teacher that changed his career. He led the Green Bay Packers to win the Super Bowl in 1996 on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. So out of all my coaches, Holmgren was an educator. He was a school teacher too, now we gotta say that. He was a math teacher once upon a time that look at at football like it was an educational thing. It was the whole thought process about everybody on the team or coaches and, and they looked at you like, you need to know all of the information, all the plays, everything everybody's doing. And so he would just say, for instance, it's third down. In order to be a championship team, you gotta be at least 50% on third down conversion, which is hard to get. So when you drop a pass on third down, he didn't have to come down and scream at you. He just kind of look at you. You know the percentage, but he would teach you. He said, here's what we're doing in this situation, and this is what we're going to. And he was the first thing to bring everybody into the room and to have a conversation with everybody. You're hearing what the quarterback does. You're hearing what the running back does. You're hearing everybody. So in the game, you could actually be the coach. And I'm going... This is really interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm learning the whole game, not just my position. Most of the time, you learn your position, you come together in practice, and in practice, you do what you're supposed to do to the other guy, and it comes together. No, he, he wanted you to understand, this is how this worked, and this is how we're going to be successful. So when you made mistakes, you knew you made mistakes. Great, great way of coaching, great way of communicating. When you think about it in business, it's a communications, right? You, you got to communicate things down, why you're doing it, why you create it, how you're going to be successful, and you got to continue to do that. And the more you know about your business, the more you can go out and produce. Looking at the big picture, that was the Holmgren way. And Keith never forgot that. In fact, he took his strategy off the field and into business. Today, Keith is a board member for Cadence Bank. And he's the president of PARC, Positive Atmosphere Reaches Kids, a youth nonprofit. So even great leaders, great football players, great anything, there's always room for improvement. What do leaders do to improve themselves? Well, first, we don't need to grade our own papers, right? If you ask me, I do a great job all the time. I don't know if anybody else believes that, but... <laughs> I, I, I believe you, Keith, because I right, do the same right. thing. So right, I do a great we, job all the time. We get each other. Yeah, you get it, right? So, <laughs> But you don't need to grade your own papers. You need to have someone who is looking at you, someone that you admire, that is sitting there over your shoulder and saying, hey, you need to get better at that. I think that when we look at all the great leaders in any country, our country, as an example, they always talk about a mentor or individual they learn for or individuals that they learn from. I think that what you have to realize is that we learn from individuals what to do 
and what not to do. Sometimes you can have a leader that you can take a piece of what they have and leave the stuff that you don't like. I reminded of a story of my mother used to say, she said, you know, when you're sitting there around people and you're learning from, it's like going to having dinner at their house. The things that you like, you eat. The things that you don't like, you leave on the table. I think that sometimes when you're being mentored, there's some things that you go, that doesn't fit in this time. That's not my personality. But the things that you do like, you got to realize that when you see great leaders, they've always learned from someone else. Financial and life journeys are as different as the people who embark on them. Reaching your goals takes guidance and making the right moves. Helping you get there is what we do best. Visit CadenceBank.com to find out why Cadence is the bank for you. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. You're an incredible leader in your own right. I mean, you've been on boards. You have this organization. How'd you take your mom's advice? Well, I think leadership has a lot of parameters around it. But one is indicating is, is that you're there to serve the people and to make sure that you're helping that individual or that company. You've got to come in and understand that leadership is a privilege. And there are certain things that go with that, whether you're the CEO or president or just the leader of the organization, you got to make sure that you're positive reinforcing the people that are around you. And you got to get the individuals around you fired up to say, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. The thing about it is bosses have to be psychologists in a sense. You got to sit down and evaluate each individual and say, here's what I need to have this conversation. But I need to make sure that they know they have a future with the company and they have a purpose with the company. And yes, I'm telling you, you need to modify your behavior in a sense, but you're gonna be around, you have a future. And so that's the challenge today. The way to communicate that is different now than it was in the past. Keith is living proof that leadership takes both humility and social skills. We hear it time and time again on this podcast, great companies have great leaders. And great leaders, they know how to communicate. So how do you master that art? Well, this season, Dr. Marcus Collins gave us a crash course. You know, when we're communicating, we're communicating through our perception of reality in hopes that people receive it the way we intended it. The frequent uh, riff that my wife and I have is that she'll ask me to do something and I go, yes, dear. And she'll go, why you say it like that? And I'm like, I just said yes, dear. She's like, that's not what your face said, though. Right? So like the, what, what I am communicating is not being translated with the same intentionality that I meant it to be, which means that because people see the world differently and they translate the world differently through their cultural lenses then what people say isn't always what they hear. And that means when we talk, we have to be unbelievably proximal to who these people are. We have to have intimacy to understanding how they'll see it and translate it. So now after being married for 11 years, I go, don't say it like this, Marcus, because you know exactly what Alex is going to say. Watch your face (laughs) because you know exactly what she's going to say because I know her so well now. And that's my wife of 11 years. It took me some time to get there. So when we are communicating to the public, we're communicating to our employees, to the organization, we are communicating to many people with different meaning-making systems. Therefore, our chances are much higher communicating with people who see the world the way we do. 
we have to be very mindful, be very empathetic to think of all the many permutations, all the many ways by which our message might be received and translated through these people. Dr. Collins is a marketing professor and an expert in culture. When he came on the podcast, he showed us that culture is a tool, but you need empathy to use it. And just like everything else, empathy takes practice. We have to develop a muscle for empathy. We have to set aside our biases, our ethnocentrisms, all the way in which we apprehend the world through our cultural lenses and see the world through someone else's lenses and go, okay, if I say this, someone may see it this way and they may see it that way. Should I say it? Is it worth saying? Or should I find another way to say it? Even though I feel like it's the perfect metaphor, even though I feel like it's the perfect illustration, if I say it this way, I'm going to upset Chris. But if I say it that way, then I might offend Mary. Is it worth it? Probably not. But the only way you can know how Chris and Mary might interpret it is to have close proximity with Chris and Mary. We have to be really good at communicating in ways that evoke emotion. Because even if the words make all the rational sense, if it evokes the wrong emotion, none of the rationality matters, right? Like we are not rational human beings, we're rationalizing human beings, right? We make our decisions emotionally and then we justify them rationally. Therefore, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're talking to people, when we're communicating, we have to think about it. Like, are we evoking the emotion that we want? Because it's the emotion that's connected through a shared ideology, right? It's, it's, it's the way we see the world that, that makes us feel wronged, right? Like, I don't like what she did because, like, that was disrespectful. Well, why? Or that offended me. Why? Because of how you see the world and what you think is acceptable. Like it's these things, the, the, the emotional parts that we have come from the beliefs and ideologies that we hold, which is why shared belief and ideologies is so unbelievably important. Understanding alternate points of view and keeping in mind the diverse needs within your teams. That's a big job. But the good news is you don't have to do that work alone. You can surround yourself with experienced people to advise you, represent your company, and think ahead. This season, we met someone who built her career in board governance, the impressive Anna Cantilano. She revealed how outside expertise can sustain diversity and leadership. A board represents everyone who can't be in the room. People who can't be there are um, represented by a group of experienced business people who understand um, how business should be run in terms of strategy, in terms of organization, as well as in terms of culture and how an organization should feel to work at. Hopefully you've got voices around the table who are experienced enough to contribute to that conversation and can help the CEO and their executive team make those, make those decisions. We also represent other stakeholders who also can't be in the room. And that includes customers, it includes employees, it includes communities, everyone who has a stake in the existence of that company and the impact that it has on various audiences. Anna has been in corporate governance for over 20 years, and she sat on a dozen public boards. She's in the room where it all happens. And around the boardroom table, a shift is truly underway. 
I think we've made a lot of improvement in adding different voices to the table over the years. I mean, since I started my board career over 20 years ago, um, on many of the early boards I was on, I was the first woman or the only woman on these boards. I've been on boards now where 50% of the directors are female. The advantage there is that the more different perspectives you have around the table, the better the conversation and therefore the better the decision can be. It can be pressure tested in a lot of different ways, a lot more ways than if you had people who had very similar backgrounds. And as you increase the diversity, you increase the likelihood that someone's going to come up with a question or a perspective that others around the table don't have. And that's tremendously valuable as you consider options in a very, very complex business environment. Anna's vision goes beyond diversity. She advocates for board refreshment as well. So I recently, uh, last year, stepped down from a board that I served on for 16 years and it was a large cap board. And a lot of people say, why would you ever step down from a, from a, a board like that, you know, that size of company? And I said, because it was time. It was time for me to go. I, I had served on it for 16 years. I'd been through four CEOs. It had been through a huge merger that changed the makeup of the company and the strategy of the company. But it was time for me to move on and time for new people with new experiences to offer their expertise to that company. And when I left, there were people on the board who had been on longer than me. But that wasn't my decision. That was their decision. But I think it's important to say, do we have a good balance of historical knowledge of a company and fresh ideas? Because if a board gets stale, it's not good. I think it's actually important for boards to have evaluations on directors. I think it's important when people join a board that they are told and they understand that the reason they're on is because their skills are valuable to the chapter that company is going through at that period of time. And at some point in time, we might move to another chapter and we might need other skills. So where this conversation has to begin is what is the company hoping to do and hoping to accomplish in the next five to 10 years, right? Therefore, what are the skills we need around this table in order to help us get there? I've, I always tell CEOs that their board of directors are their cheapest group of advisors, and there should never be a challenge that a company comes across that someone around that boardroom hasn't experienced, done, um, seen, lived through, because if, if that's the case, then you have the wrong people sitting around the table. Taking challenges in stride, that's the sign of dynamic leadership. So to get there, follow our experts' roadmap. First, good leadership takes vulnerability and collaboration. As a leader, be honest with yourself and others. Don't pretend to be someone else. Explain your decisions. And take input from your team. If you start on the wrong foot, and even great leaders do, rethink your strategy and make intentional changes. Your mistakes can turn you into a better leader. When you're feeling stuck, look to the people you admire. You don't have to be just like them, but their winning strategies might help. Remember, leaders need mentors too. You'll continue to learn from others throughout your career, which is why good communication is key. Lead with empathy and understand that everyone's experience is different. The more human your approach, the stronger your business will be. Last but not least, you're not doing it alone. To make important decisions, surround yourself with a diverse pool of people. Keep in touch with the current landscape. 
and take your company into the future. I'd like to thank our guests, Craig Flowers, Mohammed Anwar, Keith Jackson Sr., Marcus Collins, and Anna Contolano. They have made this podcast a success and inspire us for the year ahead. We'll be back in the spring with a new season of In Good Companies. In the meantime, you know where to find us. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Our production team is Sheena Cochran, Edie Pingelli, and Natalie Barron. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell. This podcast is made in collaboration with the team at Lower Street. Writing and production from Andrew Gannam and Lise Lavati. Sound design and mixing by Ben Crandall. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matters discussed in the podcast and are based on their own perspectives. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies in which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expression of any opinion on part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.